Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning. It's so lively today. First service is a little sleepy. Second service is always lively. You take longer to get ready too, so, you know, whatever. Um, hey, I'm Pastor Charlie. Your church is blessed with two Pastor Charlies. Um, if you need to distinguish us, I am the uh, old Pastor Charlie, bald Pastor Charlie, short Pastor Charlie, okay? All very endearing to me, so thank you so much for, for that. Um, but hey, we are so thankful you are here today. We have Easter Anthology, and this is week three. Pastor Jim did a great job in the first couple weeks. I'm going to refer to that in a minute. But I, you know, I know I'm kind of newer, haven't spoken that much. I'm going to share a story, and I was nervous about this. This is why, because the story doesn't make me look good, and my mother-in-law is here. Okay, I'm not going to point her out, because then I will be disowned. Um, from a family that I love. Um, but my mother-in-law is here, and this is not going to make me look great. And so whatever standard she has me, I'm probably at like a 3 out of 10 right now. This is gonna, like a 2.5 right now. So here we go. Um, anybody here own a truck? Raise your hand if you own a truck, right? It's Norco and Corona, right? A lot of us own trucks. Anybody ever owned a truck in their life, right? Right? Very nice. Okay. How many of you have ever owned a truck, got rid of your truck, and now want your truck back? Anybody? All right. Very nice couple. I believe Jesus would have driven a truck. I'm going to be honest with you because trucks are, trucks are, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go on this. I have a truck. Trucks are the car of servants, right? Because if you know someone with a truck, what are you doing when you move, right? You're calling us, right? And most of the time, if we have not figured out a great excuse to get out of it, we're just going to say yes. And you put a little pressure on us and that's it. All right. So, so I believe Jesus would have owned a truck, a servant to all. So I love trucks. I wanted a truck since I was in high school. Couldn't get one. Couldn't afford one. I wanted one uh, right after I graduated college. Still couldn't afford one. So I bought right after college, I bought a little Toyota 4Runner, right? Like a 2004. I loved it. It was a great car for that time. We, we drove it. Me and my wife got married and, uh, and she had a Jetta, but then her Jetta died. And so we had to buy her this Mitsubishi Galant. But right about the time, like we had the, this, this, this Galant for like six months and I just started to get the itch to want a truck again. And we had like some finances. We wanted to start a family. So I didn't want to just like get another car loan. And so I was kind of struggling. I was like, man, how am I going to get a truck? Um, and the Lord did something good for me, not so good for my wife. And when I say this, this is going to sound horrible, okay? So I'm prefacing all of this, okay? There was no injuries in what I, the story I'm about to tell, so everything was fine, okay? But my wife got into a minor, minor, minor car accident, okay? Very little, okay? Seriously, probably doing like 15 miles, you know, something like that on a little back street. Some lady stopped you know, to let a chipmunk cross the road or something like that. My wife kind of rear-ended her, okay? And, uh, and, so, and she always tells me that she's a better driver, but I'm like, well, no accidents for me. Um, <laughs> again, the story is not going to make me look good. Um, so so the, the car is totaled. Like it, and, it, and it totals because those cars are supposed to crunch, right? Like uh, the small cars have the crunch zone to like kind of keep everybody safe, right? We, we all, all of you know that, right? And so, so it's kind of totaled. Like, because that's what it was supposed to do, keep everyone safe. But I see this as an opportunity, right? And so I do something that I'm not proud of, but that I'm glad I did. And this is what I did. I, we had talked about having kids. We were, we were, we were trying to have uh, our first kid. And I just, I, I would show her the pictures and I'd be like, Amy, do you want to drive a car that does this with a child in the back? 
I mean, do you want him? I mean, this is dangerous. Look at, look at this. Full, I fully know it's not, but I'm going to go with this. And I just say, Amy, I don't know. And I start just really laying it on like, I don't know, babe. And, and she's like, well, I don't want to drive a big car. I'd be like, babe, the forerunner is not that big because there's no way she's getting the new car. I'm getting the new car. Um, I'm going to try to give her my old car and I'm going to get a new car. And uh, babe, the forerunner is not that big. Why don't you go take it out? Why don't you go try it out for a little bit? It'd be fine. I think you'll like it. And I did this for like a week or two, right? Just trying to... Just trying to, you know, my wife, and my wife, you cannot pull something over on my wife. My wife is a smart cookie, but I am a determined cookie, okay? So I, I will wear you down, okay? That's how I got her to date me. And, uh, and, and so I just plead, come on, babe, why don't you, and, and all she said, I think this is all she said. All she said was, you know, it wasn't that bad, okay? Now, if you're, if you're a person in here, I don't want to say gentleman, because I'm sure ladies do this too, but if you're a gentleman in here and you have a wife, or, or, or your wife, you have a husband who says, it's not that bad and you really want something, you jump on that, right? You're like, okay, let's go. Okay, let's do it, right? And you're already in fourth gear. That is, that is green light. I had already bought a truck. All she had said was, it wasn't that bad, right? And so I got the Tundra. I gave her the 4Runner and that was my first truck. And I love having a truck. I have a Tacoma now. And, uh, and it is, it's great to have a truck. So I tell you this horrible, horrible story about me so that you will judge me and I can forgive you because this is church. And... Uh, but really, I need to show you this. Like, think about what I did. I, I gave facts. I, I, didn't, I didn't doctor any photos. I didn't make anything up. Um, I bent the truth a little bit about safety, but hey, you know, it's okay. And, uh, but I gave, I presented evidence with the, with the looks of, oh, this is about safety. But my heart was about me getting a truck, right? So even though the evidence all looked right, even though I did it in a certain, even though I, I, I didn't lie. My heart was not lined up with what I was saying. My heart had a different intent. I just wanted a truck, okay? Babe, please forgive me. I don't think I've ever told you that. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to tell this story because I think all of us have been in that position once in our lives, right? Once or twice in our lives. We've said something and presented a case with a different intent in our heart, right? We, we wanted to show something that looks like this, but really we had a plan on the back end, okay? And I want to bring that to the front, not to make you feel bad about what you did, but I want to talk about just how important the heart is to Christ. How important that heart is to what we do. Remember all the things Jesus says about the heart of what you do. Remember he talks about having, looking lustfully at a woman, right? It's not about, oh, did you, did you just look at her and that was it? What, were your, what was your thought life like? And he goes, and if that was right, then your heart basically just had an affair with that other woman, right? He cares about what's going on here in our heart, here in our minds, here inside of who we are. And it is our job to do our best to reflect, not our hearts, not our intentions, but his heart, Amen. So in order to reflect his heart, we must know what his heart is. And I believe that Palm Sunday, that story right there, does a really good job at showing the reflection of who Jesus is in this story. I think that in this story, you can really see who Christ is and who the Savior is. And we can take that and we can choose to reflect that or you could choose not to. I would like to choose to reflect it because I believe that when we reflect Jesus to the world, that then people get saved, all right? I ain't in here to show people me and the Jesus in, and the little Jesus part of me. I'm here to show Jesus to the world and hopefully I can decrease while he increases, amen? 
So that is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the heart of our Savior and what that looks like and how we can properly reflect that. So before we go into any of that, can we bow our heads and pray and get started with our, with our Sunday? Father, God, let us do our best to be a reflection of you. And God, let me do my best to show how in this story, God, your heart comes through. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, you can turn to Luke 19. We're going to be in verse 28. You can either open that in your Bible, go to it on your phone. If you have neither of those, you can look on the screen. It'll be right there for you. Uh, but if you want to take notes, it's always good to have those things open as well. As you guys are turning there, I just want to kind of set this up really quick. This is the, the Palm Sunday. Now, if you're new to church and you're like, oh my gosh, I showed up on one of those weird Sundays, like where they do stuff. Like, it's not like, don't worry. We're not going to do anything weird. We, this is Palm Sunday. So basically, what we want to talk about is the story that happened happens as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And as he enters into Jerusalem, you need to understand this, that I believe that Jesus knows that this is the beginning of the end to the new beginning, okay? I believe that he knows that the ministry season of his life is winding down, and this reason that he has come to earth, this fulfillment of destiny is right in front of him. I believe that because I look at the Garden of Gethsemane and how he knows and how he's stressing. He's saying, take this cup from me. So I think he knows, even entering into this city, that something is, is coming to a close that, and that something new will soon start up. And for us, that is, you know, we're going to celebrate uh, uh, Easter on Sunday and we're going to celebrate Good Friday this Friday and, and those things that all occur. But I want to understand that Jesus not only knows this is happening, but I believe he feels this. Do you know like when you, when you have to go to like a surgery or something and there's like anxiety going to the doctor's office or even the two days before the doctor's appointment or, or stuff like that, you know, like, like the feeling of knowing like, hey, something is, they might tell me something or something, you know, I have to have this procedure done. And there's kind of like, I believe that Jesus feels this moment as he's walking into it. He's walking into a moment where he knows this is, this is going, this is, this is about to, to be a fulfillment of prophecies from thousands of years ago. And maybe he doesn't know all the details, but he knows it's, it's coming. And I, and I want to highlight that because I think we need to understand how powerful it is that now we see Jesus' heart in a time where he feels these feelings. That in, when the pressure is on, his heart comes through. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want, to, I want us to notice that even as we enter into the, to the story. So this is in Luke 19. We're going to start in verse 28. It says, after Jesus said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So that who has, whoever, who were sent left found it. Hold on. So those who were sent left and found it just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord has need of it. And after that, they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now, I need you to look at this story not as a Christian, for those of you that are Christian, I just need to read it as a person really quick, right? Read the first time. That Jesus tells, if you were just to read this like this, you would think, oh my gosh, Jesus just told his disciples to go steal someone else's donkey, okay? That's what it looks like right there. That's grand theft, okay? I don't want to say auto, but kind of grand theft, a little bit. Um, 
And, and he tells them, like, right, that totally looks like that. And, or, you, or you might be like, no, Jesus is like a Jedi. That like, that like, he's gonna be like, hey, just tell them the Lord has sent it. And it's gonna be like, they are no longer here or they too shall pass or whatever. I don't know. I'm mixing up movies at that point. Um, but like, that's kind of what you think. Like that Jesus said, say the Lord is done. They'll be like, yes, the Lord, you can take my colt now. No, that none of, I would say that those things are possible. That possibly this is a supernatural thing that Jesus says, hey, just tell them the Lord has sent it. And they tell the guy and he's like, well, I guess that's okay because it's Jesus. But I would say this. That, and most scholars would say this as well. That Jesus has set this up with the owner of this donkey, okay? That he has set up the last time he went through and said, hey, when I come back, I want to ride in on one of your donkeys that has never been ridden before. And my disciples are gonna come and take the donkey. And if you see them, just ask them, who is it for? And the code word is, the Lord has sent us, okay? That that would be the word that he would know, okay, oh, that's, that's for Jesus, that is what most scholars would say, that Jesus had predetermined that this was going to happen. And he had set it up because he knew the importance of riding in on this donkey. In fact, the importance goes back to multiple prophecies about the Lord riding in. In fact, this is the one in Zechariah 9.9. It's not on the screen, but I'll, you can write it down and look it up later. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. So Jesus understands this, that when he rides in on this donkey, that people are going to look at him and say, oh my gosh, he is here, right? That there it is, he has come. He understands that that is the message that he is sending, that he is saying he is the Messiah. He is the King of Israel. That that is the message he wants to portray as he rides in on this donkey because he is going to fulfill prophecy written thousands of years ago. He totally and completely understands that and wants it to happen. And people are looking at it and it's like, I, I described it last service as um, they read the book people. Have you ever watched a movie with a person that read the book, right? You ever, you ever experienced that horror? Um, right? And, and you're watching the movie, and you're enjoying the movie, and then the person that read the book, like, that didn't happen. It wasn't like that. Or they go, oh, that's why it was like that, because, you know, the wizard said something. Like, all those things, right? And they just kind of, like, ruin the movie, because you're like, be quiet. And they're like, the book was better. It's like, yeah, but the book took two years, and this took two hours. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you have to, what, that is what these people are doing. They are looking at Jesus as, like, an aha moment, as a person that, is, that has read the book and then watched the movie, and they are looking and saying, oh, my gosh, it's that. That's happening. Look, it's happening right there. And they're excited. And we're going to talk about their excitement in the next point. But in their minds, they've already predetermined what Jesus is going to do when he gets there. In fact, a lot of them think that he is there to conquer the Roman government. That is why the Messiah showed up. But we need to realize that in this moment, he has not come to conquer, but to confirm. Now before, hold on. I know some of you, you can write that down, conquer to confirm. But before any of you write emails to me about like, Pastor Charlie, he came to conquer the grave. I can't believe you don't know scripture. I read the Bible too, okay? We're good. Hold on, let me explain before you write the email. In this moment, as he rides in, he is not there to conquer. He is there to confirm that he is king. And I know this because look what he rides on. A donkey. 
Now, a lot of us have looked at the word colt, and we have always thought of a horse, right? Because anytime we hear colt, especially this is horse town USA, right? Anytime you see colt, you think horse. You don't think donkey. And why? Because horses are these majestic, beautiful creatures, right? Like when you sit on a horse, you sit high on the horse. They're big. They're beautiful. They were the, the mode of transportation for the Roman government. When the Roman government would ride around the, the cities of Israel, they would ride on these horses. Why? Because it established their dominance. It established their power. It showed that they had conquered them. But Jesus rides in on a donkey. He is a king riding in on a donkey. Now a king, when he rides in on a horse, rides in for those reasons before, to conquer, to confront, to engage in war. But a king would ride into a city on a donkey in a manner of peace, in a manner of gentleness. So even as the prophecy is fulfilled, we see the heart of Jesus, not as one who rides in arrogantly in a conquering manner on a horse, but gentle and in peace on a donkey. And why is that important? Well, one, it shows the heart of our Savior as a gentle and loving Savior. And second is, and I'm going to talk to the Christians real quick. So if you're checking out church, if you're not a Christian yet, you're just checking what, what things go on here. This isn't for you. Please listen, but this, I'm not talking to you right now. I'm talking to those in here who have said, I love Jesus. He is my Savior. I want to follow Him. I want to reflect His heart. And I need to ask you this. How good are you doing at reflecting the heart of a peaceful and gentle Savior? How good are you at that? How are you doing? You know, we had some great messages. If you have not heard the previous two messages to this with Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim did a great job in showing how God is real, Right? That he, he gave evidence, he showed scientific fact, he gave scriptural fact, he showed artifact, all of this kind of just really great logical evidence of why God exists, right? And, and we talked about how this is great for defending your faith, all that kind of stuff. But the problem is this, is that some of us have taken that information, we can display it, but our heart isn't just right yet. Our heart isn't reflecting Jesus as we display it. And in fact, our heart has been a conqueror. When we hear, this is like, uh, um, like some of us love to be like, have you ever daydreamed about being the hero of a story, right? Like, come on, be honest with yourself. You know you've daydreamed about being someone's hero, that someone like confronts you or your wife or your husband or your kid and they say something horrible to them and what do you do? You step in, right? You're like, all right, it's about to go down. And you always win, right? Because no one's ever better than you in the fight. Um, and and there, is, there is something that happens to us as humans, in, in, and especially as Christians, that our flesh can be shown, not in the ways that maybe the world shows, you know, their, how they kind of fall into temptation. But for us as Christians, our temptation maybe even aligns a little bit with Jesus when we say, oh, let me defend my faith. Let me defend the honor of my Savior by arguing with you right now. I won't fight you because that's for non-Christians, but I will tear you down with words. Watch me, okay? And we come in and we're like, hi Like, I got you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we want to defend Jesus as if he's like this little damsel in distress. And he's like, oh, please don't let them dishonor me. And you're like, I will stand in your honor. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever like, if you've ever seen someone put themselves in that position, I will defend Jesus. 
Can I be honest with you? Have you seen you? You don't need to, you, Jesus don't need you to defend him, right? Do you know who Jesus is? He don't need you to defend him. So when we talk about defending our faith, we're not talking about, hey, defend Jesus or even defend yourself. Because guess what? You got Christ living inside you. You have the truth. You don't need to do a great job at defending just you. You're good. When we talk about defending our faith, I want you to think about it like this. The person who doesn't believe in Christ, I need you to defend them against the lies of the devil. That's a, that's a subtle difference there, right? Because all of a sudden, the person that I'm talking to, maybe even edging to arguing with, they are not my enemy, right? I am defending them against the lies that the devil has been feeding them forever. About how could God exist if all this stuff goes on in this world? How could God exist if everything in your life went so bad? How could God exist if all this evidence shows that he doesn't? You think of defending, some of us, not you, but some of us think of defending our faith as I need to tear down someone else's argument. Let me tell you, that's a conquering attitude. You do not just need to win the argument because guess what? You could prove Jesus exists while never even showing who Jesus is. And there's a problem there. That you could prove that God exists and yet never even show the person that God loves them. Because you could just prove your point and win the day and win the argument and that person would walk away and you have won the argument and lost the soul. And Jesus comes in on a donkey. I need us Christians and I'm passionate about this. I'm serious, I'm passionate about this because I think that people need to see Jesus and not you. They need a savior, not a hero and not a debater. They need to know that God exists and they need you to defend them against the lies that Satan has told them about why he doesn't. And that's an issue of the heart. That's an issue of this. So how good are you at reflecting that? How good have you been at reflecting the gentle and loving Jesus as you have a conversation about God? Has it strode into the argument status of why I'm right and you're wrong? Or can you bring it back to, listen, I love you and you're not crazy for wanting to believe in a God that cares and died for you? Can we reflect that heart? I hope so, guys. I hope so, because I believe if we can, that's when revival happens, amen? Okay, so let's move on with the, with the next part. So we're gonna start in verse 36 now. So now as he was going, so remember they have the colt now, they put the cloaks, Jesus is now on the colt, the little donkey. Now as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road and as soon as he was approaching near the descent of Mount Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to shout and praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. Now, 
You have to understand, one, that when we talk about the disciples, it's a lot more than just the 12, right? There are a lot more disciples than just 12 guys following Jesus around. The 12 guys are the core. That's who Jesus pours into and talks to. He takes those guys aside. But there are a lot of people following Jesus. There are a lot of miracles that have been done. There's a lot of feeding of the 5,000. People have then just kind of congregated and followed Jesus around. So all those people, as he's walking in, riding in on this donkey, they are now saying, this is the guy. Here he is. Here he is. And they're psyched, man. Like they are stoked. It is like this. I'm going to try my best to tell you kind of what it was like. It is like when you're watching a really good action flick, okay? Because if I don't talk about action movies, this can't be a sermon. Because this is Pastor Jim's pulpit. And if I don't, if I don't, if there's no movie references, everybody will mutiny. And, uh, and it's this really great action flick, right? And you have the, the antagonist and the bad guy and, and the hero and all that kind of stuff. So my wife wanted to watch um, all the Marvel movies again. So we're going to watch all those again and, you know, spend 10 years or however long it takes to get through them. And uh, so we just watched Thor, okay? Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not like a Marvel nerd, okay? And, and I mean nerd in the most endearing way. Like, I love you, okay? I'm not, like, seriously, not in the bad way. It's cool now. Um, but I'm, I'm not, I don't know like all like little things. I didn't read comic books as a kid. So if I butcher the story of Thor, I apologize. Like, just don't, just, just, just forgive me. And, uh, and so we were watching Thor. And, and Thor is like a pretty standard action movie, right? The hero, at first he's all arrogant. And then they, you know, his dad like kicks him out. And so now he goes to, to hang out with like some scientists and he falls in love with a girl and he becomes humble. And then he sacrifices himself because, you know, at the very end, there's like a big bad guy, which I'm pretty sure is like a robot with like laser eyes or something like that. And, uh, and he's like tearing up this little town and, and Thor kind of gets in his way and he doesn't have his powers anymore because when his dad kicked him out, he stripped him of all of that and he's just this man and I'm pretty sure he dies like I can't give you like the whole like I don't really know I didn't read the comic book I don't know what happens there but it looks like to me that Chris Hemsworth doesn't make it um or whatever Hemsworth it is and uh and and then all of a sudden right in the movie the the hammer like because Thor has a hammer that he can't he hasn't been able to pick up because he's not worthy well then it starts to shake and it's like and doing all that thing and then it shoots up in the air and then it comes to Thor and then Thor like opens his eyes and he grabs the hammer and then there's all this lightning and then like the fog machine turns on and he like kind of comes through the fog and and uh, and he's like wearing like the Thor outfit or whatever that thing is right and you know like when you're in that time of the movie and you know like and you see the hammer shaking you're like oh it's about to go down right now. It's going down. Then we're about to see some good stuff. They're about to do some work, right? Like you think that, like you like know that it's going to happen. And that is what these people are thinking right now. As Jesus enters in, they're like, it's going down. Like, honey, don't pay the tax. We're good. Like Jesus is going to come in. He's going to do some stuff, right? That's what they're thinking. They're looking at what the Messiah can do for them immediately. What can you do for us immediately? Immediately, right now, we are under Roman rule, and you are going to take us out, and I'm going to be so stoked. I'm going to save some money. I don't have to give away my goats all the time. That's why the, that's why the priests are so upset, because they take a little cut from that. So they're like, oh, man, we're going to be in hot water. So they're all upset. And, and, and you have the rest of the people shouting, this is the king. Here we go. It's, it's about to happen. And they're so focused on the immediate that they have lost focus of the ultimate. And can I tell you this? Jesus cares about the ultimate. Now, if you are going off of the email that we send out every week, you'll see 
there that says Jesus cares about the ultimate and then it'll say comma and not about the immediate and we deleted that because Jesus does care about your immediate situation he does care he sits with you in that but I need to tell you this that sometimes even though he cares for your immediate situation he will not take care of it immediately okay and that's difficult and so don't stop listening because I know some of you have walked in today with immediate things that you feel need to happen I need to get a job I need my marriage to be back together tomorrow I need to get a text message I haven't gotten it yet they need to get better and Jesus is walking with you through those things but understand this that he might not take care of it immediately but he will take care of you ultimately can you stand in faith with that because that is difficult and I get it I've been in the situations where I've been praying and praying and worshiping and praying and worshiping and praying and worshiping and nothing has happened in fact things have gotten worse and it's like you're just sitting there like dude is this ever going to work out I do everything right and it's still not working out but that is where your faith is built too many times because we have this saying in church like that faith can move mountains or God can move mountains and we kind of use that right but too many times you want God to take the mountain and move it past you that is just your that is not a generational thing that is a human thing you see it right here in scripture and that was written 2,000 years ago that is just the way people think I have something in front of me I need God to move it past me but sometimes God says this I am not going to move it past you I need you to move past the mountain. I will give you the tools. I will give you the community. I will set you up. But I'm gonna need you to start moving forward. And the more you walk, and the higher you climb, and the farther you walk, the mountain will move out of your sight, but not because he picked it up and threw it away, but because he let you move through it and ultimately that makes you stronger and I understand that some of you are waving your palm leaves and you're praying and you're asking and I just don't want you to be disappointed in God or dissatisfied because he loves you so much that he understands that some of the things you're going through immediately need time so that ultimately it's taken care of that if you were to pluck it out of your life right now, that would not be the best for you. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows that for you. Can you trust him in that? That's what I'm asking. Can you do that? Because it is difficult. I can say it from this side, but I know that those of you in the middle of it, that is difficult to hear. But if I can give you that little bit of faith that Jesus cares for you that much, he will ultimately bring you through it. Just keep having faith. Do not walk away in this time. Do not walk away because he is still with you. He's still going to care for you. And ultimately, it will work out. Now, this last part, this last little bit of scripture, 
I think is so cool. It's probably the scripture I've moved past because the, the first story is a story I heard. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a church kid, so I grew up in Sunday school, so this was all on a felt board at some point in my life. Um, and so I've seen, but I never really, this last part, just when I read it, it just, it just gripped me. So I want to read it with you. This is verse 41. It says, when he approached, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And I want you to pay attention right now at what he says as he weeps, saying, if you had known on this day, even you, the conditions of peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will put up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you on every side. And they will level you to the ground and throw down your children within you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Now, Jesus is looking down on a city where the people will beat him, lie about him, spit on him, laugh at him, and ultimately crucify him. And you do not see anywhere in that text where he says anything about what they will do to him, right? He does not talk about the wrongs that they will do to him. He does not weep over them in anger, saying, I cannot believe I have to walk into this city again and let them laugh at me and let them spit on me. That is not the frustration that he shows here. Because that frustration is out of anger. These tears are a frustration of, of empathy and in some ways agony. Not because of what they're going to do or what they've even done but because of what's going to lead them to how it's going to lead to the destruction of their city and some of you think Jesus looks at you like a frustrated angry two year old who is so mad at you because you've messed up their life again right I have a two year old right now and she is just like Whatever, if she doesn't get it, okay? If she doesn't get her chupon, that's it, man. Like, I don't know. We're done, okay? But you think Jesus looks at you, and he's so frustrated with you. How could you mess up again? How could you do that again? Why would you do that? Didn't you know better? Can't you get it right? And you think that's who Jesus is. Because maybe that's the parent you had, or the grandparent or the boss you had. But Jesus looks at you like a good father. And he's not frustrated with your failures. He's frustrated with your fate. Like a parent who's crying because they know that if their kid makes that decision again, it could lead to destruction. He's not frustrated because you mess up. We all mess up. I'm on stage, I mess up. Pastor Jim's somewhere hiding. He messes up. We mess up here sometimes. Oh my gosh. He's not frustrated with your failures. He understood that. That's why he died on the cross. But man, he doesn't want you to have the fate that awaits you if you keep on making that mistake again and again and again. And if you keep on walking away from him, the 
again and again and again. He is so, he weeps over the idea of the pain you will go through if you do not see him. If you do not notice the time of his visitation, he weeps over the pain that he knows you will endure as a father, as a mother, as a, as a grandfather, as an aunt. He weeps over the pain you will endure as a son or a daughter or a person because he is looking at you as his own kid and saying, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to experience pain like that. I don't want you to experience hopelessness like that. I don't want you to experience this alone. I want to be with you. Will you see me? Can you see me? Will you notice me when I walk in the room? Will you allow me to be the savior that you need? So if you're in here today and you have not accepted Christ as your savior, and you're thinking that you better get some things right before you ever make a decision like that, can I tell you, no, you don't. Because he's not worried about how you've messed up. He's worried about where you're going. He's not worried about what, will, what, what, what bad things you did or will do. He's just worried about where it will take you if you don't notice him, if you don't accept who he is in this moment right now. So I'm going to close. As we close today, I want to say that prayer with some of you. So if you could bow your head, close your eyes as a congregation. And let me tell you, for some of you right now, this is a battle. Like you are battling within yourself. Man, what decision do I make? And listen, you might not make it today. I hope you do. Because I know a Jesus that cares so much for your fate. And you're probably feeling in your heart right now, all right, I gotta do it, but I'm not sure. I'm telling you right now, just jump. Have the faith. So if you're here today, and that Jesus that I talked about, that I hopefully did a good job at revealing his heart. If you would like to follow that Savior and make him your Savior, will you just raise your hand? I just want to pray with you really quick. I see that hand in the back. Let's pray really quick. Father, for the man that raised his hand, for the people online, for anyone here that didn't raise their hand, but they... they saying this prayer, God, we pray a prayer of salvation over them. That God, they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. That God, they would bring to you all the stuff that they've done, but God, that you would embrace them with open arms. That God, your sacrifice and your holiness covers whatever they did. That they are pure in your sight right now and they are written in the book of life. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. If you accepted Jesus Christ in any way, there's a couple of things we'd like you to do. There's a QR code or there's a link. If you're online, you just click that. You can fill out a card. We want to get in contact with you. If you're here in person and you would like, there'll be prayer people right over here. You can just let them know. They'll talk to you and walk you through some of the stuff. And we just want to get to know you and pray with you. Can we, can we stand? I want to bless you guys as you guys leave today. Father, on Palm Sunday, 
God, as we are ready for Easter. God, not for just ourselves in order to celebrate what you've done for us, but God, to invite someone else in to walk this journey with us, to be in this community of new beginnings. God, be putting on our heart the person that we should invite, that we should bring, whatever the case is, that they would come to know a Savior who is loving and gentle and that will take care of them ultimately, that weeps for them because he loves them so much. We thank you for all this. In your name we pray, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.